Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. I have an exciting uh, introduction to do this morning. We, uh, as a church family, we are... Basically, from an institutional perspective, we are independent. We don't have a synod or a denomination or a headquarters that we're signed up to on paper. But we're not independent in the way we go about church life. We are highly connected relationally with uh, many different churches and and, uh, different ministries around the place. And one of our longest time friends as a church who's been involved since day one is Marty and Carrie Ann Stockdale at Impact Church in Morphavale. And they have a group of friends that they've recently come to know from South Africa, done a few trips over there and met a group of people that share a common history of 20-something years ago, but have just kind of reignited some relationships with some people in South Africa. And uh, they have a team from South Africa in their church today at Morphavale. And a few weeks ago, they said, listen, we have w- one of the couples coming over is a young pastor and couple from Joburg. And uh, if uh, they're fantastic ministry, they um, Dan's a great preacher. If you want to have them in your pulpit, you're more than welcome. And I said to Marty, well, a friend of yours is a friend of ours. So Friday, for the first time, I met Dan and Sam. And it's not Sam and Daniel. It's Daniel and Sam. Okay, that's, that's the way the Dan and Sam goes. Dan and Sam, they're from Joburg. We've got a picture of them and their family up here. And uh, four beautiful kids. So, uh, actually, why don't you come and introduce your kids? Can you guys do that? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Sam. Barnard, make your way. I'll give you, give you the green, and then you can introduce your husband. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Very nice to be with you guys this morning. Um, thank you for having us. And, yeah, we already feel so at home. Just the amazing welcome that we received it. Yeah, feels like it's family, like a, a heart and spirit connection with everyone here. Um, yeah, I'm just going to introduce us quickly. Um, so you know that my name is Sam and this is Dan. We've been married, we're going into our 10th year of marriage this year. We got married when we were 20 and 21. Um, and then uh, a little bit about our family. Our oldest one is Aaliyah and she is now seven. This photo is probably about a year old still. Um, and then our second oldest is Emma, and she's in our foster care. And then Luke is our little adopted boy, Daniel's prize sort of son, one and only son. <laughs> and then um, our baby girl, Misha, she is three years old. Um, but I also just wanted to say I loved what it's Erin, hey? Erin had to say about um, just the youth and the... the um, the way you're pouring yourselves into your youth and um, your children because, yeah, they are so special and they are a gift from the Lord. And even um, in our experience, Aaliyah, just a little bit of our family, when when we met Emma, who's our foster child, we were praying about whether God actually wanted to add a, her to our family. And, um, and Aaliyah came to us, and I think she was only four at the time, and she said, Mommy and Daddy, I would love for Emma to move in with us, and she can stay in my room. She can even share my bed with me. 
And so God can even use a four-year-old to bring about his purposes and share his heart with, um, with all of us. So I just love that, that you know, that's what you guys are about and what you guys value, because I know God values that. Let's go. Have you, Brian? I'll take that one. Cheers. <clears throat> Thanks for that amazing intro, babe. Um, so now that you know our kids, I'm Dan. Um, <laughs> No, I'm, I'm really excited this morning, and I actually, I feel super privileged to be here. I must admit, I do feel a little bit at home. I've met so many South Africans since we've come to Australia. It feels like hide and seek, and there's that secret hiding spot that everybody else knows about, but you don't know about. That's what Australia feels like for South Africans. You like, go to the beach, and you hear someone like, who's going to put your leg in you? Whoa, there's another one. So I do feel at home. I do feel welcome. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to be here this morning, and I love what... Chad was sharing about the good news, because this morning I'd like to, um, I, I don't want to take a massive piece of scripture and explain it or do something interesting. I'm a very simple person, to be honest. Um, I, I can't make the scriptures seem incredible because they are incredible on their own. And I'd like to tell us that story, the good news, the story of the gospel, but I want to tell it through a perspective of a man that watched it played out in front of him. And he wrote a lot of the Bible. And um, this guy is a disciple of Jesus. If I had to say, who would you categorize as the disciple with zeal and very impulsive? And everybody says, Peter. But you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. So can we turn the mic down just shout? I do. I will shout, I promise. Just a disclaimer, I shout and I cry. Um, <laughs> Marty does give me grief. He says, listen, I don't know if you're going to fly in Australia because we make him tough out there, eh? So I will put on my brave face and I'll try and do my best. Um, but everybody says Peter, but it's not Peter, it's John. And I want to show us in the gospel, I want to show you what a disciple, somebody Jesus calls her, when he meets Jesus, he is radical. He literally wants to burn people. Okay? Literally. We'll read that. This is the apostle of love. Just so you know, that's what he's known as. And he's like, Jesus, they don't want you to go there. That's fine. Let's burn them. That's literally what he says. To the disciple who, at another stage, him and his brother sidled up to Jesus. And they're like, hey, listen, Jesus, you know, you know there's 12 of us, but, you know, participation award isn't quite enough. Is there any chance that one of us could be on your left and one of us could be on your right? And so we see John is zealous. John's ambitious. He's grasping at things. This is the disciple. This is what he looked like when he came to meet Jesus. A man who was ready to burn everybody alive and was grasping for position. You must remember the disciples believed that Jesus was going to be the king of Jerusalem, not of the world. <laughs> and so this is what he thought. Jesus, could I sit at your left? This is what he meant. When you get rid of Rome... Because that's what the disciples believed. That's why they started following him. They thought Jesus was going to take over Jerusalem. When you overthrow the authorities, can I have a nice seat? Can I have a good position? All of a sudden, that doesn't seem like a very good attitude. <laughs> like, what's going on? Jesus, what type of guys are you choosing? I want to show us in our Bibles. I, I didn't give the script. I saw the message only this morning. I'm sorry. But we can... We can turn there quickly. Most of us have an app. Unfortunately, I know that's true, right? So you're going to just flick through, but I'm going to read it to us. 
I do want to encourage you, after, after uh, hearing something like this, you don't have to take my word for it because it's all in the Bible, but I'd love you to go and read it for yourself. It's changed the way I read my Bible. When I've, since I've looked at the story of John, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of our story as we tell, is because I actually feel like I relate to him. Because if I'm honest with you, sometimes in my zeal, I've wanted to burn people. It's just, it's just how I feel. I think Chad can agree. Leading a church, we have a privilege of leading a church, but sometimes we want to maybe not burn them, but light a fire under their seats to get them to worship a little bit. And... Um, but I want us to see, and this is the point, it's not going to be just a story that we go, oh, that's a great story, thanks. But I want us to see that when you walk with Jesus, the way you start and the way you end are very different. And all of us are at some point in that journey of coming to know Jesus. And so John starts in, in, the, in John 2 verse 25, um, this is the first time Jesus actually does a miracle at the wedding table. And I want you to understand this because his disciples have just seen him do a miracle. He's just turned water into wine. And I can tell you in Adelaide, that would have gone down well. I saw all the wine. I mean, imagine that. You're like, come, in, come try our tasting place. We don't even have vineyards. We just have water. And we do a tasting. And as we pour it out, it changes. That will be quite impressive. And um, so Jesus does this miracle. And this is what it says afterwards. But Jesus, scary scripture. But Jesus didn't trust him. It says, and the people started trusting Jesus because he did a miracle. Because he could give them something. But Jesus didn't trust them. Because he knew all about people. He, no one needed to tell him about human nature. For he knew what was in each person's heart. That's a scary scripture. We sit here this morning, no matter where we are, and the Lord says, each person here, I know your heart. I, I see you how no one else sees you. Before me, you are laid bare. He knows each one's heart. And this is what blows my mind. He still chose them. I know the worst about you, and yet I still choose you. <sighs> okay, maybe your story isn't as wild as mine, <laughs> because that blows my mind. Me. I'll be honest with you, I'm a rubbish. I love the fact that you said you, find, you, you heard Bayside was a dodgy place. Automatically, I felt at home. I was like, that's great. <laughs> yes, okay, cool. Now, we, babe, we fit in now. We're from Joburg. We're from a dodgy place. So it's just like, this is now, it all feels. But that's my life story. I, I don't, I, Jesus, regardless, maybe you're a pearl, maybe you're a pile of rubbish. He knows what's inside, but he chooses still. And so this is how the story starts. John is actually a disciple of John the Baptist. So before Jesus, we, we know the Bible refers to him as well. You can also see it in Mark that John is the younger brother of James. So in the hierarchy of disciples, I don't know if you guys have siblings. It kind of works like this. The oldest sibling normally gets the strictest rules. Am I right? I'm a middle child, so you're going to see a little bit of sympathy <laughs> after this. They got the most rules, and the parents are the hardest on them. And then we get the middle child. They have life the toughest, and it's just a number. You get the younger child. We all know about that one, right? Our fourth one, Misha, she, it literally feels like hostage negotiations every time we go to bed. Misha, it's time for bed. 
It's like, no, 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 Dad, I don't. she's only three, but she negotiates us like you cannot believe. And so we have John, who's the baby brother. So one thing is, the other siblings don't normally feel very fondly of the baby. It's true, eh? The youngest are like, what? Is that true? I'm letting you know, as the older siblings, we didn't like you that much. <laughs> you got all the good stuff. <laughs> um, and so there's actually a tension there already. So according to Jewish tradition, John is not supposed to be special. He is supposed to be the bottom of the food chain. He's not supposed to get a privileged place. He's, and you can see where I'm going with this, where he's going to end up. John is not supposed to be the one that's super important. He's the baby. He's basically allowed to tag along. That's what it would have been like. And um, so we see John, and he's going around. He, he's already following John the Baptist, which means he's already quite zealous because he's following a teacher. And I want you to know, what message did John the Baptist carry? Love for everybody. Repent. Repent. So you must understand that if John is a disciple of this guy, he's saying the same things. He's coming to Jesus with the same attitudes. And John baptizes Jesus. Before that, this John is already, sorry if we get John and Jesus confused. John the disciple, he's already walking with Jesus. And then Jesus lists his disciples. And I want you to know I'm from a place called, we say Johannesburg because it makes us feel important. We're from a place called Benoni. I heard some go, ooh, that's not very nice. <laughs> it is what people say about us, though. We're from the east. And um, in Benoni, maybe not the rest of the world, Sons of Thunder, if I could choose a nickname, that would be it. Like, I don't think everybody else feels that way. But in Benoni, that would mean you drive a V8, you've got big muscles, you've got big tattoos, you walk in and everybody's, ah, Sons of Thunder. Like, that would be an exciting nickname, but Jesus is actually, it's not actually a good thing. James and John, the sons of thunder. It means wherever they go, they make a noise, they make a mess, they make a big scene. And these are the two, this is the guy that we're going to see on Jesus' chest. This wild character, zealous for God, but his artworking is poor. But does Jesus give up? Does Jesus write him off? Does Jesus, listen, okay, listen, I think you need to take six months to cool off. You want to burn people, we want to extinguish that for a little bit. No, actually we see that zealous, when you plug somebody who is fervent and zealous and follows the Lord with passion, when you put them close to Jesus, that zeal, in the same way that it's passionate, becomes a passionate love for people. And so the son of thunder is going to become the disciple of love. It's incredible. So maybe you see yourself as a tough, hardcore, zealous. Urgh. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, I, I want you to come like that. But at the end result, I want somebody who is overflowing with love. You wouldn't dare want to burn people. I must admit, this will get close sometimes. So I'm not quite there yet, I assume. And so in Luke 9, 52, we read the scripture. This is the part about zealous. And Jesus sent messages ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus. I want you to understand, John has just given up his life to follow this guy. 
the message comes to town that Jesus is coming and these people don't welcome him. So John has a, a point to prove to Jesus. I want to show you how passionate I am about you. And there's a point to prove about those people. You don't know what you don't know. And so this is what he says to him. They did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John, John's always referred to second because of age, not because who's speaking. So when you read your Bible and John is always after, it's because he's youngest. So in everything, John will always be lost. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Wow. That escalated quickly. But listen to this. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. I don't know what that looks like in an Australian context. I do understand that what that looks like in the South African context. There's a little bit of stern words there. Jesus turns and rebukes him. We think Peter's the only disciple who Jesus picked on, right? I mean, it's James and John, the sons of thunder, and Peter the nose that Jesus consistently picked on. That's, that's what the Bible seems like sometimes, because all his flaws get pointed out. But we see that Jesus, it's not about that. It's not Jesus, when, in the Gospels, he's not highlighting people's flaws. He's transforming them through them. That's what he wants to do with every single one of us. He wants to take your flaws. He wants to take the things that actually he's designed, he's put inside of you, he's made you. And he wants to transform you through that into his likeness and his image. So the next one, I'm not going to read, it's a long portion, Mark 10, verse 35. James and John sidle up to Jesus, that's what I was telling you about. They say, this is next in the storyline. So they have now said, let's burn people. Then second to that, they come in and thought, well, nobody's established a hierarchy among the disciples yet. Is there any chance we could be your close ones? Because we know that wherever the king is, they've learned this. If you're close to the guy with the authority and the power and the influence, you get some of that. And so John's even grasping. Pride is dangerous. Pride is scary. I've seen pride do more damage than anything else. You know, it's, you read about pride in your Bible where there's somebody who has given everything but inside of himself, second to no one but God, and in his heart, no, I want to be like God. Pride. It's a scary trait. You would think, you know, Peter's getting told, Satan, get behind me. But the thing that James and John are showing is an even more scary attribute. It's pride. It's ambition. Because ambition is opposite to love. In Philippians 2, you'll read that scripture says, Can't others more significant than yourselves? Taking on the form of a servant like Jesus did in very nature, even though he's the same as God, he didn't count equality something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. So John is doing a massive no-no. Jesus came to show the world humility. And Jesus' best friend is filled with pride. That's a pretty scary thing. And again, Jesus doesn't give up on him. Jesus doesn't shun him. Jesus draws him closer. Closer. 
So what happens after is I'm going to tell you it, and you can, you can find it in the Gospels because I, I don't want to. It's an incredible story, and I, you can get everyone's opinions, but the Bible puts it this way. So what happens is in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before everything happens at the Last Supper, Jesus, while John has been walking with Jesus, John has slowly, him and the other two, they've been getting pulled close to Jesus. They've seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. John is always close to Jesus. He's called the beloved disciple. He's starting to get called this. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He writes that about himself. Humility is still there, right? Yeah. That guy that Jesus loved. I'm not going to mention his name, but maybe he wrote this book. Just saying. He's, wor- he's gotten close to Jesus. He's not, it hasn't happened by mistake. Jesus has drawn him. This morning, exactly what Chad said, Jesus is drawing you closer to himself. Closer to himself. Because as you get closer to him, he starts to transform you. He starts to transform what you think is the most important, the message, because that's what happened. John thought that the message was the most important thing. Jesus says, no, the message isn't the most important thing. The relationship is. You weren't designed to preach. Ah. So a South African thing. What? More Australian? No, not really? Okay. South Africa would go, sure. That would be our expression. And um, you're not designed to preach. You're not designed to be somebody who makes disciples. Uh, Excuse me. Now you're treading on thin ice. No, no, no. You're designed for relationship with God. Right in the beginning from the garden. And this is what you're watching of a disciple. That as he gets closer to Jesus, as he starts to walk closer to him, as he starts to pull him close, Jesus says, this is my beloved disciple. He lets him in on conversations that no one else hears. He starts to change. Not did Jesus, I mean, there were times where Jesus rebuked him. But he starts to want to become like him. And so he does make adjustments in his life. I I don't know the famous preacher who said it, so I can't give him all the credit, but there's that saying. It says, Jesus loves you so much that he accepts you the way you are. But because he loves you so much, he wants you to consistently change into his likeness. Not in your personality and who you are, But in your very nature, God wants you to become like Jesus. He says, you are my co-heirs. Not because you must. That's because it's what I want for you. It's the best thing for you. We've been uh, with our kids. So because we have four and they, it's quite da-da-da-da-da. Seven, six, five, four. No, seven, six, five, three. I didn't tell you four. It's at home now. There's five now. No, I'm joking. Our church is involved in a baby home, so we have lots of babies, like over 40-something babies that have all been abandoned or left out. And so we do joke in our church because if somebody comes to visit our church, we send them home with a baby. Yeah. I like that. I said to Sam, like, we got, we got a copy of Chad's book. I was like, that's so kiff. We're going to get them to visit us, and we'll give them a baby. Like, there you go. <laughs> As you, you can take him home with you. Now, I'm, I'm, please, I'm not condoning human trafficking. <laughs> Just say. And so we see that Jesus is making the message 
not the most important thing. He's not teaching the disciples what to teach. He's not teaching the disciples what they need to say. He's teaching the disciples who they need to be. This is who you need to be. This is what you need to be like. And so they come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, they're, not, they're having the Passover. And Peter already knows that John is close to Jesus. And Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. They must understand. Jesus has just said, this person is going to betray him. And it's going to cause him to die. That means their idea of him overthrowing Rome is going out the window because one of them is a snitch. In Joburg, snitches get stitches. Really? Sorry, we're a bit rough. Forgive me. Sorry, I'm, we don't condone violence. And so, do you know what anger would have been burning in these disciples towards the one that's going to betray Jesus? If you wanted to burn someone, call down fire on them because they rejected Jesus' message, how much more would you want to hurt somebody who's about to have him killed? And you start to see the process that John's gone through. Peter says, I don't think Peter had the best intentions, if I'm honest. First of all, we know he's carrying. He's about to cut somebody's ear off. So he's packing heat. And he says to John, hey, listen, John, why don't you find out who the disciples that's going to betray Jesus? I don't think it was to throw a party for him. Hey, look at him. No, no, no. He wants to know who's going to betray Jesus. John saddles over to Jesus. And it says he leans against the disciple whom Je the beloved disciple leans against the bosom of Jesus. He says to him, who is it? And Jesus doesn't tell the whole table. Do you know that? He doesn't tell the table. He whispers to John, the one that I dip my bread with. And he dips it and he gives it to Judas. And then your Bible will tell you, Jesus says, Judas says to get up and Jesus says, whatever you have to do, go and do it quickly. And it says, your Bible will tell you, that none of the disciples knew what was happening. They thought that Jesus, because, uh, Judas, because he was the treasurer, went off to handle the money. Nobody knew, but John is sitting there knowing that that guy's about to go and kill my life's dreams, hopes, and ambitions. I think old John would have done something different. I think he would have pulled a Benoni on him. Five-fold ministry in the car park. That's how we roll where I'm from, just... Really, that's, all, that's probably everything that was coursing through his veins. I, I can imagine, Judas has left the conversation. How many of us would want to tell everybody else about that person's downfall, about that person's failing, about what that person's about to do that's so harmful? But geez, John's been walking with Jesus three years. He started to learn something. And he says nothing. Nothing. He's understanding that Jesus has predicted his death. And so whether he dies, it's not up to Judas or not. It's because he has to go and die. And the second thing is Jesus has been showing him that the mark of my disciples 
we read our Bibles, plural, towards the church. They heard the message of Jesus, plural, towards the twelve. So when Jesus says, by this the world will know that you, twelve, are my disciples, by your love, one for another. I think there's a possibility that John started seeing this as a t- this is one of those tests. So they go to the garden, and the crew rock up. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, not because it was everybody saw it coming. It was because it was in secret. He betrays Jesus with a kiss, and then walks away, and then the guards come in and arrest him. So even then, the disciples don't know it was Judas. We're going to read why afterwards. They arrest Jesus. They take him away. John has somehow wangled some influence. The Bible says in John, he gets into the chief priest's house. John has an open door into the government. I don't know how. And he goes to one of the ladies and he says to her, my friend is at the door. Remember, there's three of them that are close to Jesus. He knows that Peter's another one that's close to Jesus. He says, my friend is at the door. Could you let him in? And so John is present at Peter's denials. John organizes Peter to get into the party. So the servant girl opens the door. What does she say to him? Aren't you one of those disciples with Jesus? Can you imagine now at this point, John looking at Peter, this is all going down. And can you imagine watching one of your best friends, one of the close ones saying, I don't know the man. What? Do you think at that moment you'll be feeling love, compassion, sympathy? What? You're abandoning everything we've given the last three years of our life for? You're throwing everything out the window? Maybe I heard wrong. Peter goes, gets around the fire. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? I told you, I don't know the man. Imagine if you were John and you saw this again. And then the third time. And then Peter leaves. And so John... The disciple that's zealous about the message of Jesus, the message of reconciliation, the message of the Son of God, the message of repentance. This is what he was ready to give his life for. He started doing this before Jesus got there. He was following John the Baptist. He's the only disciple with James, Jesus' brother, who's at the cross. The other disciples have run. They've already headed off to go fishing. And this is incredible. The disciple who's so passionate about what he's going to say, he's at the foot of the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what's his last instruction to his beloved disciple? Go out and preach the gospel and lead people to the Lord and build the church. No, 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 John, that's not your place. This is what he says, John. This is your mother. Mother, this is your son. Jesus overlooking his own fleshly brother because he knows what's happened in John as he's walked with Jesus. I want you to, it's like saying, I'm going. 
I'm about to die. I'm going to come alive, but I want you to look after mom. It shows Jesus cared about his mother. The Bible honors her, so I think Jesus did. Massively. And he gives what matters very much to him, to John. He says, Peter, on you I'll build my church. But can you, Matt, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, just because I already established that I'm a piece of rubbish. I want you to know a little bit of human thoughts here. Who would want to be the rock that the church is built on, and who would want to be mom's babysitter? If you had to pick a calling in the Bible, who would want to be going through the scriptures, standing up, preaching, 4,000 getting, 3,000 getting saved, thousands being added to their number daily, walking to the temple that your shadow falls on people, they're getting healed, picking up the blind, pick, like healings, miracles, miraculous, zealous, he gets rebuked again, that's okay, that's Peter, we know him. Carries on preaching to the, the, the Jews. He, he basically, he, he, he's, a, he's a missionary to the Jews, to the Jewish nation. He preaches to them with so much passion. Eventually, it comes his time to die. And he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. Crucify me upside down. I want to be honest with you. I think that's what I would choose. It's a little bit more glorious. Then the guy who is about to sit at the foot of Jesus, he's been so close to him, he's followed him his whole life, he's changed him from somebody who was zealous and the message orientated, he's made him about being relationship orientated, he's changed who he is as a person now, he's about to get the commission, the great commission, go out to the world and make disciples and look after mom. John is about to disappear for the most important part of the church in the New Testament. Do you know that? Because he only surfaces again. He starts off in Acts and in Jerusalem, and then when they scattered, do you know that it says, church history has it recorded, that John looked after Jesus' mom till she died of old age in his house. That's not a massive calling if you ask me. I love my mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> the message isn't the most important thing. And I want to read to you some of the things that he wrote. I, I've loved being in Australia. It's incredible. It really is. It's blown me away. It's, I can see why everybody runs away here. Really, it's blown our minds. But I've said to Sam, there's something here that is lonely. One of the things is in, in where we are, yeah, there is crime. Yeah, there is things are slightly more difficult, a little. Like 10 times if you take the currency worse. <laughs> but one of the things that we've seen is that in, in our communities, it's desperate need that brings people to Jesus. Because if you don't have family to look after you where we are, you're done. In Australia, the government's still pretty good to you. Like, the state will help. They'll look after. They'll, the need isn't as hectic. And I'm sorry if that offends. And I just want to say that a lot of... I, I met somebody on a disability pension um, yesterday. An incredible guy. 
And he was saying how hard it is. And I was thinking, I, I, I get what you're saying. But you need to understand that we've been here and like the standard of living in cost is very similar. The difference is we use rand. But you're earning five times more than the lady that helps us at home with our kids. And she has four kids. And so there's desperate need. And Jesus says this. The more you have, the harder it is. Because desperate need will draw you to Jesus. But I want to say, I've, I've, I can see that there is something in Australia. And I, I, don't, I haven't been to all of Australia. I've been to Perth. And I've been to Adelaide. And I haven't even been all around. I've only seen little pieces. And I want to tell you that there are people, when you see people, I see loneliness. I see people alone. I see people who don't have family. They might have physical family, but they don't have family like Jesus said. They're like, Jesus, your, your mother and brothers are calling outside. He goes, who's my mother? Who's my brother's? It's those who do the will of my father. My own family, I haven't seen some of my, my, my brothers for four or five years. My one brother, he doesn't serve the Lord. I don't spend time with him just because we don't have anything in common anymore. He lives in a different part of the country. But my life is poured out for Jesus and what he's doing. And it's loving people. It comes with a message, but the message is people. The message is the sheep. The ones that he died for. Not the message that he died. The ones that he died for. So John gets Jesus' mom. He looks after. He, he does show up every now and then. You'll see in the New Testament. But he's not doing any major stuff. He goes through some persecution. You know, he gets boiled alive in oil. They try and kill him. They can't kill him. Eventually they exile him to an island. And this is one of the letters he writes, not on the island, that's the book of Revelation. But this is some of the stuff he writes in 1 John 1 verse 8. And I want to say this this morning because I've just chosen a few. If you read 1 John after hearing the story of John, you read your Bible through a new lens because 1 John can feel condemning. Oh, if you sin and you this and that, then darkness in you and you, no, 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 no. I want, this is, I want you to understand through John's lens. This is what he says. Is this an accusatory statement or is this a reflective statement? If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we are not living in the truth. Why would he say that? Because that's what who John was. John knew what he was. If you claim you have no sin, if you claim you're perfect, if you claim you're like Jesus, you're only fooling yourself. There's the truth, and that is Jesus. So what he's doing is he's telling, he's saying, further on in that chapter, stop pointing out each other's faults. Because if you claim you have no sin, you're only kidding yourself. Not that there's no measuring stick, not that anything goes, but hey, I've learned something. This is what he's saying. This is what he says in 1 John 2 verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If you say you live in God, then live your life like Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Greater love is no man than a man who lays down his life for his friend. 
he, he walked with a betrayer for three years and he didn't treat him any differently. For three years and he knew it was him. He picked him. Like, I don't know if you guys have fantasy league. And you know, when you run out of points, then you pick the really bad guys. I don't think it worked like that when Jesus picked disciples. I don't think he ran out of salary cap, so he picked a bad disciple. He's like, no, listen, we haven't got anything left. Let's take Judas. Didn't work like that. He chose him because that's the nature of Jesus. And this is what he says in 1 John 4 verse 7. And I'm, I'm done after this. And I haven't cried, which is amazing. So dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves, you must understand, he, who's, this is coming from somebody who's literally seen with his eyes and lived with a child of God, the Son of God, for three years. So if anybody knows what a child of God literally looks like, it's John. He's had his head against his chest. He's touched him. He's held him. If anyone is a, son, a child of God, if anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, Jesus said, if you know me, you know my Father. John's taking it a step further. He's saying, if you love others, you like Jesus, who is the, like the Father. But anyone who does not love, and I love this, because this is, you can see the change in the person from the first guy we read about. Not anyone who does not love should burn. Not anyone who does not love should be beaten. Not anyone who does not love should be trampled on. Anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And I know it can seem wishy-washy, and I know that this can seem like a very basic truth. And it is. It's a very, that's why I don't claim to talk about things that people don't know. It's a, it's a simple truth. And the message is a simple message. It's a simple message. It's the fact that Jesus invites us to relationship with him so that when we walk like, with him, we start to become like him. And as we start to become like him, we'll start to love those who love him. And then we'll start to love others. And we'll love others not to better their circumstance, but to bring them into a relationship with the Lord. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.